Well, again, it is good to be here. We have enjoyed our week. It is hard to believe that this just one more night after this one. Uh, but we have certainly, we, we have benefited. I don't know about anybody else, but I know we have. We've benefited from being here, getting to know uh, so many of you so much better, to be encouraged, and uh, we appreciate the opportunity to be here. I appreciate all that's been done so far uh, for us, the hospitality and just everything. Appreciate the work that's being done. Appreciate the good work that Stephen is doing and uh, look forward to uh, in the morning uh, at, uh, at Hardy's. Um, every opportunity, it's good, to, it's good to be able to try to share God's Word with, in, in every different way that we can think of. So I appreciate that. So I hope that what we talk about tonight is going to be encouraging. I hope it will be challenging if you're not a Christian. Uh, I hope it will be challenging. But I hope it will be encouraging to all of us because we want to talk about some things that ought to be characteristic, really, of a Christian, of what we do. We trust God, as our theme is this week, but we trust God with our soul. And so that's what we want to think about together is trust God uh, with, with your soul. You know, you think about um, the things that Jesus said on the cross. There were seven sayings that our Lord made. And one of them, I think, is, is a, kind of a fairly, maybe often overlooked statement. When he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Now, some of the versions would say, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. Well, that fits our theme for the week. Trust. Trust God. If we could put ourselves back into the mindset of the day. Our Lord was crucified in the midst of a Roman world. The Roman world was heavily influenced by the Greek world. And the Romans ended up adopting the mythology, much of the mythology of, of the Greeks. And in the Greek mind, why this, what the Lord said here was just an unheard of level of trust. You think about it, Jesus had, had already, He had left heaven, He took on human form, and He was now experiencing human death. And so what they would see in their mind, I believe, is this would be an opportunity for some rival God to step in and take advantage of this situation uh, because that was their culture. That's what they thought God did. They were rivals with each other. And here Jesus was saying, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was showing His absolute trust in His Father. And so as you think about, again, the mindset of the day, it's, it's interesting to study the mythology. Uh, and you wonder, well, why did people ever believe that? But they did. And so the Romans, as I said before, they adopted uh, the Greek gods. Uranus was the first major god, I'm told. And then all of his children, though, hated him, including his wife. You're talking about a dysfunctional family and their mythology. This was their gods now that they looked up to and worshipped. And so uh, Uranus, his wife, got their children to turn against their father. Cronus was the only one brave enough to actually go up against his father. And he did, and he defeated him. But then Cronus was told that one of his children would take over. Well, he wasn't going to have that. So what does he do? He ate each of his children. Isn't that a fine family to be, to be in? But that was how they thought about their gods. They were that, that petty. Well, Zeus, the story goes, was hidden. And then as later, whatever later in the, that world would be, he comes to power after defeating his father. And so almost all the gods had this rivalry between each other, jealousy and betrayal. And so for Jesus then to say, Father, into your hands I entrust my spirit. It, it, it spoke to a level unheard of in their mind. And so Jesus was completely at ease to entrust His Father with the most valuable thing. I entrust to you my soul. See, in their mind, here, here's Zeus, and then here's Jesus, the Son of God. 
Zeus, all-powerful, very vengeful, uh, very much human-like. And then here's the Son of Man, who didn't come to be served, but to serve. So again, their mindset, they just, that was, that was foreign to them. The Lord said, For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? The Lord is teaching us that there's nothing more valuable to us than our soul. And He was willing to entrust His to His heavenly Father. And so, how much more then, how much safer could our souls be than in the hands of our Savior? We can trust our soul to Him. And so what I want us to think about tonight is the song that we will lead. And I appreciate Corey leading this at, as an invitation song. It is well with my soul. And if you have your song books, that's going to be our outline, uh, that number 626 here. That would be uh, kind of the way we'll steer our, our thoughts. But I want it to be something that we don't just learn about a song that we sing. We'll hopefully do that. But I hope what we'll come away with is it is well with my soul. Because we can trust our God with our very soul. Now I mentioned... Uh, you know, I really didn't plan on doing two hymn studies, but it kind of worked out that way. Uh, Sunday, we talked about Jesus Loves Me, and now tonight, we're, we're looking at this one. And some of the songs have a really um, unique backstory to them, and I think this is one, uh, one of those. And so, again, in our, in our book, number 626, It Is Well With My Soul, there have been a lot of stories that circulate about the, the, the background of this, and some of those are true and some are not. But as far as I could determine, this, according to history, is pretty much accurate for this song. The sad thing is that it has a tragic ending, not just for the one who wrote it, who was Horatio Gates Spafford, but also for the one who wrote the tune to it, who was Philip Paul Bliss. And he wrote the musical score for this song in November of 1876. So as you may be familiar with this story, but he wrote this poem, H.G. Spafford wrote the poem in the mid-Atlantic over the exact spot where his four children had died just a few days before. I can't imagine losing one child, much less all my children. His wife and children were sailing to France on the Villa du Havre, one of the largest ships afloat at the time, but it was rammed while in the Atlantic Ocean by an English iron sailing ship. It sank within two hours. 226 people died in that tragedy. His wife, Miss Spafford, she survived, but her four children were lost. Again, I, I cannot imagine the heartache that would go, go, go with such a thing. But that's not the end of the story. Just weeks before that happened, they lost everything they owned in the great Chicago fire. You might have studied that fire in history. It was a, a terrible fire in Chicago. He lost everything just again a few weeks earlier. Now he's lost all of his children. And so as soon as he could, he arranged to, to sail to Europe to join his wife. And on the way, in December of 1873, the captain of the ship called him up and pointed out, this is where it happened. As they crossed the ocean, this is the spot where your children died. Again, I can't imagine what, what was going through his mind and how heavy his heart must have been. But with a heart heavy with grief and pain, but within himself surging with faith and hope, he wrote this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. I can't imagine pinning those words at such a deep, dark time. But you know, the story doesn't stop there. There's more tragedy associated with this song. Philip Paul Bliss, a noted song leader and composer, wrote the music for this hymn in November of 1876. 
Two weeks after he had written this, Bliss and his wife were killed in a tragic train crash in Ashtabula, Ohio, near Lake Erie. But that's not all of the story, either. Witnesses to that crash said that Bliss could have escaped, but his wife was trapped in the burning wreckage, and he refused to leave. And so he died there in the flames with his wife. And so this song, It Is Well With My Soul, came at such a heavy price. Oh, not that the song created it, but it's, it came out of that, out of that grief and sorrow. Now, speaking of grief and sorrow, Lord willing, tomorrow night we'll talk about trusting God with our grief and sorrow, which I think is a fitting um, one to bring after, after this, this lesson. It's a true story. It's not a made-up story. Oh, that makes it, makes it sound like a, like a Hollywood movie, almost. The words of this song came from a broken heart and gives us a glimpse of H.G. Spafford. So as we look at this hymn, make sure it's well with your soul. And so again, when peace like a river attendeth my way. Maybe, maybe that's your, when peace attends your way. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. These, these thoughts so closely mirror what we as Christians are told. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 10, Paul said, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Isn't that what the writer is saying? Isn't that what we sing? Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Paul said, For I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so whether it's times of peace or times of, of um, um, storms, Whichever it is, I, I can handle it. Well, what? I can do it through Christ. You know, sometimes that verse 13 is taken like um, old people who do a lot of um, uh, motivational speaking and all say, all the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as if it's always up here. As long as you're you know, relying on Christ, it's always you're on top of the world. But that's not what Paul was saying. He said, sometime you're up here and sometime you're down here. Either way, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Either way, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. If you look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul had to, had to learn this. In 2 Corinthians 12, and, uh, and starting at, uh, at verse 7, Paul said, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelation, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, Therefore, most gladly I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Because what happens is trials that we go through are opportunities to show faith. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. And then the second verse says that though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. 
that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. What, what an awesome thought. We turn to passages like Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, and we'll see this very idea, I believe, in, in these verses. Paul says about that, he says, What then shall we say to these things? Now he, in this chapter, has just talked about um, the Lord being with us. And like in verse 28, all the, we know that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord uh, and are called according to His purpose. And so what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And so in this passage, and we'll continue this reading in just a minute, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, just know this. Jesus has died for me. He shed His own blood for my soul. I am okay. It is well with my soul. As he goes on to say, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died. And furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. You see him just going down a list of blessings here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep. For the slaughter. Think Paul is still saying, whatever my lot. It's well with my soul. Look what Jesus has done for me. He shed his own blood for my soul. Yet in all these things, he said, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor debt, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What was Paul saying? What he said, it is well with my soul. It doesn't matter what Satan throws at me. Uh, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And so I can say no matter what, again, Satan is throwing at me, all these things that he lists, nothing can separate us from God's love. What a wonderful thought. And we just say, it is well with my soul. And then the third verse. The third verse says, my sin. And then if we can get in the kind of the phraseology here, what he's saying, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. Like, let me, let me just back up a minute. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. I think sometime it might be difficult for us to put the inflection into the song that the writer meant and, and the thoughts he's trying to convey. And, and I never had really kind of put that together either until studying this song in this way. I, I, I just love the way he phrases that. He emphasizes my sin, my sin, all oh, the, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. And then he continues my sin, not in part, not some of my sin, all of my sin. I, I've studied with people and tried to work with people that have a hard time moving past their sin. They have a hard time forgiving themselves and really a hard time believing God will forgive them. And what we are being reminded of in this verse and what we're telling each other as we're singing to one another, it's not some of our sin that Jesus nailed to the cross. It's all of our sin. It is well. It is well with my soul. Where is your sin? If you're a Christian, it is gone from you. 
Jesus has paid the price. We read this, in, uh, among other places, in Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is one of my favorite passages to read uh, when the Lord's Supper is being served. I like to you know, try to keep my mind focused on, on, on what we're doing and what we're remembering. And I, and I love this, this passage here, this entire chapter, really. But here we'll start at verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him, and by His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. The Lord has taken our sins and paid the price. Is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. It is well. It is well with my soul. We find that places like Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself, by Him whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He's reconciled. He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Doesn't that reflect the words of this song? The sin is gone. I bear it no more. I can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach. It is well with my soul. If. Doesn't mean the Lord has just written a blank check that everybody's going to be saved. He said, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so, no, it's not, it's not a blank check to everybody. Oh, Christ died for everybody to have the opportunity to have this hope and be able to say, it is well with my soul. If indeed, he says, you continue in the faith. And if you are continuing in the faith, then yes, it is well with my soul. I can stand before the Lord without one sin charged to me. Oh, not that I didn't sin but not one sin charged to me because it is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. So those are the first three of the verses. We're going to spend the remainder of our time on this fourth verse. And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sight, the clouds be rolled back as a scroll, the trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, even so it is well with my soul. For me, this is one of the most meaningful parts of this great hymn. When the Lord comes back, and all the events that we'll look at here happen, we can be at peace, and, and um, we can say, even so, yeah, all this is going on, Lord's here, and a lot of things happen when He comes back. Even so, it is well with my soul. The Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You know, the Lord promised to return. That he, He's coming back. In fact, in John 14, He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. And then remember, uh, can you imagine the disciples when they, they were up there at Bethany and uh, they're talking with the Lord and then He just lifts up out of their sight. 
and they're just dumbfounded. And they're standing there looking at the Lord ascending back into heaven. And then the angels say, why stand you gazing up into heaven? Jesus is going to come back the same way he left. He's coming back. Well, since that statement is still true today, how does it affect us? The Lord's coming back. I was talking on chatting, and we say talking, we're really chatting on Facebook. But uh, something about birthdays came up, and I recently had a, had a birthday. And, um, oh, I, they were wishing me happy birthday and something about getting older. You know, I said, well, the, you know, there's, there's just no good alternatives to these birthdays. You know, what are you going to do, miss one? Yeah. I said, the only good alternative is if the Lord returns. That's a good alternative. Other than that, you better keep having your birthdays, haven't you? But since it's true that the Lord is coming back, how do we feel about that? Are we confident of our salvation? Do we even give it a second thought? Do we give it much thought? I'm persuaded that I don't think about it enough. And maybe the same is with you. Our song says, even so, when the Lord returns, even so, it is well with my soul. And so I want us to look now at some things about the Lord's return. And see, even then, even so, it is well with my soul. And so again, Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be sighted. Really? Haste the day? Like, I hope it comes soon? I don't know. I think there are a lot of people who really don't want the Lord to come back today. Maybe later, but not today. But we sing the song that says, And Lord, haste the day when the faith shall be signed. But again, I don't think many people think about Even Christians, when we're singing this song, we're saying, haste the day, Lord. You know, there were were people in their day, uh, in in the first century, who already were doubting that the Lord was going to return. Uh, 2 Peter 3 and verse 4 saying, Where is the promise of His coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And so there were those back then as there are those today. In fact, there's a getting to be a doctrine that's spreading among some members of the church, this A.D. 70 doctrine, that the Lord's already come back. And all that was was the destruction of Jerusalem. And yet, no, that's not what the Lord said. And that's a whole other topic. But they understood and they wondered, well, why hasn't the Lord come back? They knew He had promised to come back. And I think sometimes Christians, we we don't think about that enough. And yet, don't we, every week, and I know you do right here, right here at, at, at centers at this table, you have the Lord's Supper. And why do we have the Lord's Supper? Well, there's a lot of reasons. But how long are we going to do it? Till the Lord returns. And in fact, isn't that what he, what he said? He said, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until... He comes. And so we are saying every week, we are remembering and recognizing this memorial is going to last until our Lord returns. But can we say, even so, it is well with my soul. I think right after the Lord ascended into heaven, there was a lot of anticipation about His return. Oh, they, they were thinking, it's just going to be really just any minute now. And in fact, Paul had to say, well, now wait, there's some other things that got to happen first. <laughs> but still, they were heavily anticipating that. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it, it seems that, that uh, one, of the, one of the issues they were having there in Thessalonica is that perhaps some thought so much that the Lord was about to come back, just literally just any day now, that they didn't see much sense in working because the Lord's going to come back. And so why do I need to be concerned about holding this this job? And so 
evidently was such an issue that, that Paul had to give them some instructions about that. And 2 Timothy 3 and verse 6, But we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. And he goes on to talk about in verse 10, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. And we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all but are busybodies. And so he had to instruct them and reprove them about that. But it seems like, the, at, at, at least as an excuse anyway, perhaps it was their misunderstanding of the Lord's return because he has to do a good bit of teaching on that in both of these letters. But you know, I, could, I guess say this, at least the Lord's return was on their mind. At least they were thinking about that, you know, one day the Lord's going to come back and maybe it could be today. They very much thought that just any day now. I wonder why many do not want to hasten the Lord's return. And I think there are a lot of different reasons, but I think one of them is they're pretty comfortable. You know, the, um, things are going, going pretty well. I wonder if we lived in some of these countries where you could die for your faith, literally. You live in a Muslim-dominated country and they find out you're a Christian and you crossed the wrong person and you could die for that. Couldn't you imagine they'd be like, Lord, haste the day. Lord, come quickly. Because they're not very comfortable. And yet here we are, we've got it pretty much made. In this country. So maybe that's part of the problem. Uh, you know, Amos and, and different prophets would deal with this at various times. He would talk about Samaria and, and those who are at ease in Zion. Or Haggai would talk about uh, those who were so comfortable they didn't bother rebuilding the Lord's house because they dwelled in their paneled houses and had things going pretty well. And so they weren't concerned with spiritual things. And I think today that might be part of the issue with us really not thinking a lot about the Lord's return. But, you know, our hope must be in the Lord and in His return. Let's look at uh, 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1 and in verse 3. And then we'll look in, in chapter 4 as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So we have this living hope because Jesus rose. We believe we will. Jesus paved the way, didn't He? And, well, let's go to chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4 and uh, verse 12. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when His glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Talking about when the Lord comes back. But it's also talking about now you know you're going through some hard times. Don't think it's strange when you go through all this. But... but um, but rejoice because you're following in our Lord's steps. But one day we will follow in His steps when He returns and He takes His people with Him. But our hope is there. Our hope is that He rose from the dead. And so we too know that we will one day hear that voice. And all who are in the graves shall come forth. So yes, Lord, haste the day. But then he goes on to say in this verse, he says, When the faith shall be sight. When the faith shall be sight. I don't know if we pay much attention to that as we're singing that. What does that mean? When the faith shall be sight. Well, that which we have longed for and hoped for and never seen, one day we'll see it. Our definition of faith that we find in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. See, we, we haven't seen it. We believe in it, but we haven't seen it. But one day, faith will be sight. Paul said in Romans 8, verse 24, For we were saved in this hope. 
but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But one day we'll see it. One day our hope will be realized. One day our faith will be sight. All this time, what have we been doing? We've been walking by faith and not by sight. But one day, faith will be sighted. What a glorious day that will be. Because John says, I'll tell you what's going to happen. We'll see him as he is. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. What a great thought. One day we'll be like Jesus. And, and I, think that, I think the idea is you've got to be. If you're going to see Jesus as He is, you better, you can't do it in this body. You're going to have to, you're going to have, to have that, that new body. We shall see Him as he is. In fact, Revelation tells us in Revelation 1 and verse 7, everybody is going to see him. That's one of the problems we have with this AD 70 doctrine. <laughs> Not everybody saw him. But we're told every eye shall see him. Revelation 1 verse 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even they who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so, amen. When the Lord comes back, it won't be a little private matter somewhere. But also, Romans 14, verse 11, tells us that every knee shall bow. You think about that, every eye will see Him. And uh, Romans 14, verse 11, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So you think about what this is is. It's revealing to us when we see Him as He is. When the Lord returns, every eye will see Him. Every knee shall bow. Faith shall be sight. And even the unbeliever would be forced to acknowledge who Jesus is. What, what an awesome time. What an awesome day that's going to be. And then he says, The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. Sometimes the Bible uses language that's very figurative and uh, is meant to inspire the, the awesomeness of the occasion to, to help us to somehow uh, get that in our mind. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. It's imagery of an awesome God judging the nations. And, and these are, are words that have been used several times in the Old Testament to talk about God's judgment against various nations like maybe the Assyrians or the Babylonians. But you know, Revelation uses this language. And I think in a very literal sense, it will happen when the Lord does return. Not the figurative sense like we find uh, in other places. But then in Revelation 6, which has some very symbolic language. But notice what he says in chapter 6 and uh, verse 14. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place, just depicting this awesome time and day uh, of the Lord. And our song says, The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. When, when faith shall be sight, and the Lord returns, there are some awesome things that are going to happen. Isaiah said in Isaiah 64 and verse 1, Oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence. And that's what they will do. And that's what they will do when the Lord returns, when the clouds are rolled back as a scroll. There, there's other uh, language like this. If you look at um, Isaiah chapter 34, Isaiah 34, and starting, uh, starting at verse 1, Come near, you nations, to hear. And indeed, you people, let the earth hear, and all that is in it, the world and all things that come forth from it. For the indignation of the Lord is against all nations, and His fury against all their armies. He has utterly destroyed them. He has given them over to the slaughter. Also their slain shall be thrown out. Their stench shall rise from their corpses, and the mountain shall be melted with their blood. All the host of heaven shall be dissolved, and the heaven shall be rolled up like a scroll. All their hosts shall fall down as a leaf falls from the vine, and as fruit falling from a fig tree. 
Oh, that was some awesome language there. But that was very figurative language about the judgment God was going to bring against the nations uh, of that day. And yet when the Lord comes back, it won't be figurative. It'll be very literal. And we'll look at that in just a minute. But when that all that happens, in the midst of all of this, is it well with your soul? The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Can't imagine how that is going to sound. The trump shall resound, and the Lord shall descend, the song says. And here Paul says, that's right. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, those Christians, will rise first. What, what an awesome time that that's going to be. So every eye will see Him, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. Is it well with your soul? And here we are. All this is happening. And we will meet the Lord in the air and always be with Him. As, it, as we read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse 17. We looked at verse 16. In verse 17, we're going to get to the right, to the right page here. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall ever be with the Lord. Now imagine what an occasion that's going to be, and what an awesome sight that's going to be, and the sounds we're going to hear, and the and the uh, all, all the things in nature that are going to be happening around us and we go and we meet the Lord in the air and no, we won't reign with Him a thousand years on the earth. We're going to meet Him in the air and there we shall ever be with the Lord. And nobody knows when it's going to happen. Nobody. But it's going to end and it will end all things as we know and understand it. Another passage we can look at, look at Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 3 and in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening? There's our word. Lord, haste the day looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. What, what an awesome day that's going to be. Then it's too late. If you're not ready, now if you're not ready, it is not well with your soul. We find in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, uh, some more information about this awesome day. And it lets us know that when it happens, it's too late. It's too late to do anything about it. Uh, and 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So we don't know what we shall be, but we know this, we shall see Him as He is. We'll be like Him because we'll see Him as He is, John uh, has said as we read earlier. The Lord talked about this in the parable of the, of the, uh, the, the virgins, the five wise virgins and the five foolish there in Matthew chapter uh, 25. You remember the story. And, and the point of the story is to be ready, to make preparation to be ready because the five wise, they had plenty of oil for their lamps. The five 
foolish, did not, and then the groom delayed. Didn't come when maybe they thought he would. They weren't ready. The door was closed. They couldn't get in. See, it would be too late one day. But if you're a Christian, no matter when all of these things are happening, even so, it is well with my soul. Think about what hope and assurance we have in Christ. Think about that day. The trumpet sounds. The clouds are rolled back. The elements melt with fervent heat. The Lord is here with His mighty angels and flaming fire taking vengeance on those who know not God, obey not the gospel. All of that is happening. It's too late. You're either ready or you're not ready. In the midst of all of this, the Christian confidently says, Even so, it is well with my soul. I love that assurance that the Scriptures give us. And it's all because of our Savior. See, the, the, the Christian does not live in fear of such a moment. He longs for it and he hopes for it. Now notice 2 Timothy. Lord, haste the day. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, the day the Lord comes. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. That should be every Christian. Going over just a page or two probably in your Bible to Titus chapter 2 and verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. But you see, embedded in all these passages are, are Christians with a hope that the Lord's coming back. We fought a good fight. We finished our race. We're looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of our, of our Savior but you know, it's not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but it's because of God's wonderful grace and His forgiveness through Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. What a wonderful hope and assurance we have. Because we know the love of God through His Son, we've learned not to fear the judgment, to actually anticipate it. Look at, look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4 and verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as He is, so are we in this world. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I, I, I love that passage. Of, of the mindset that we ought to have because of what Christ has done for us. And so can you sing this song without reservation? Especially that last verse. Lord, haste the day. Can you ask the Lord to do that without uh, a lack of confidence of, of your being ready for that? Many would be like the foolish virgins or the man who hid his talent. And one day it's going to be too late when the Lord shows up to demand an accounting from each of us. Some are so comfortable here that they see little advantage to living in heaven. 
we hear ridiculous songs sometimes. Remember the old country song, if heaven's not a light, if heaven's not a lot like Dixie, I don't want to go. Now really? How little do you know about heaven and about the alternative? Those who have completely given themselves to the Lord realize this world holds nothing for them but trials and temptations. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so we sing with confidence this song, and especially this last verse. Are you ready? Is it well with your soul? I'll tell you, you can trust God. You can trust God with your soul. Tonight, there might be somebody here who's just not ready for that day. Can't, really can't sincerely say, Lord, hasten the day. Haste the day when the Lord comes back. It's going to be too late should that trumpet sound before we leave here tonight. It's too late. But I hope you have the, the calm assurance that it is well with your soul. If you're not a Christian, I can tell you this, it's not well with your soul. But it can be. It can be this very night. If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, would you repent of your sins? Just change your life. Say, Lord, I, whatever you want me to do, that's what I want to do. Confess Him before men. If you come forward, you'd be asked, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? And if you say yes, then this very hour you'll be baptized into Christ. Have your sins washed away. Then you can say, it is well with my soul. From that point forward, you live faithful to Him. You do your very best to follow Him. You're going, you're going to make mistakes. We all do. And when you do, you repent of it. You ask the Lord to forgive you and you keep moving forward. Sometimes, though, our life has gotten completely maybe away from the Lord and those sins are in a public way and really ought to be confessed publicly and ask the brethren to pray with you, as James talks about. I know the brethren here would be so glad to help anyone to be ready to meet the Lord. Is it well with your soul? If not, do something about it tonight while together we stand and sing.